presents the Pick 6 Podcast, featuring CBS NFL writers Pete Prisco and Will Brinson, NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, and host Nick Costos. You want NFL talk? We've got NFL talk. From training camp to the Super Bowl and through the NFL draft, our fearsome foursome has you covered. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, third show of the week, second show of the week that will not feature Jason Lock and Corey P. Pisco, the slackers. They won't listen to this, and I don't care. They won't hear it. Again, um, that intro music you just heard, as we said in the midweek show, stinks, okay? I'm not going to lie. It stinks. It drives me nuts. I can't stand it. Um, oh, yeah, I'm Will Brinson, by the way. And uh, you should tweet me, at Will Brinson, and tell me if... We can improve that music and what you would want to hear, what sort of sound you want to hear when you fire up the Pick 6 podcast. Like what, you know, if you're some psychopath that likes to listen to this show or you run on a treadmill, what do you want to hear to get you amped up for that, uh, that 4.2 on the treadmill? Speaking of great podcast music, we're going to be joined today by my pal, Ryan Wilson. Hey, Ryan. Hey, hey. I called it from the B team. No, you're the, no. Um, Ryan and I did, 50 different podcasts at two different places. This is the same podcast. It just had different names. Um, Dave Otez of the of this podcast will remember the Ion Football podcast, the Pick Six podcast. And if you go, if you're really old, you remember the 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 House Cast we did at Fan House, aka the House Cat. Oh, yes, back in the day, that was 2010. That was yeah, uh, so it's, it's yeah, that was 2010. Um, you know, back when we were doing this podcast, the Seahawks were just starting their mini dynasty, which is an incredible segue um, into what we're going to talk about today because we will discuss the Seahawks, but we also get to some news. Um, first up, near and dear to your heart, you're a Steelers guy. How are you uh, How are you settling in on this, uh, this whole Le'Veon Bell situation? I'm getting comfortable. I mean, I'm like Le'Veon, going to do my rap video. Uh, over the off season and then come back and revisit uh, my full-time job status. Look, here's the deal. He's going to make $14.5 million one way or the other. He ain't going to make $14.5 million per year when the next highest paid running back is Devontae Freeman, who makes $8.25 million. And I know you just did the math in your, ha- in your head. That's a 75% increase, 8.25 to 14.5. So let's, let's be real about that. Now, it seems to me like Le'Veon is, is sort of putting the screws to the Steelers about – what he wants. And I'm not a toe the company line guy. I'm all for the players getting what, you know, it's like Prisco, get what you can get, but you got to be realistic about it. Antonio Brown makes 17 and change cause he's the best wide receiver in the league, but there's no way on God's green earth you're paying Le'Veon Bell 14 and a half million annually. And last year they reportedly tried to give him five years, 60 million. He said, no thanks. So that's 12 million a year. So I don't know what the resolution is. I don't know if anyone's going to pay him that uh, on the open market. Yeah, in fact, I do know they're not going to pay him that in the open market. So he has to come to some decision about what he wants to do, whether he wants to be in Pittsburgh long term. He says he does. Obviously, the Steelers would love to have him because he's one of the best running backs in the league. But I think their offense is, is such that they can get by without him. They would they would prefer not to. But who's paying him north of $12 million a year? Nobody. I mean, maybe like the Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> With a backfield that includes Indomitian Sue. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, okay, like in a hypothetical situation, if, if Le'Veon Bell hits the free agency market, are the Browns giving him? No. They're not giving him the contract he wants. I mean, they, they're just not. Like, And guess what? You're playing in Cleveland. Is that worth $14 million a year? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand why he doesn't sign this deal from Pittsburgh because we're talking about a guy who's torn his ACL, 
uh, a guy who fell in the draft and understands that you can lose money. You, you know, he's, he's been suspended. He could potentially face a longer suspension, although I think he would just be three games again if he got. Yeah, I don't, he's not on the, he's under the Martavis Bryant plan yet. Yeah, but I mean, still, like, if he, if he, I mean, he's not immune to being suspended. Like, there's baggage, there's baggage there. Yeah, there's baggage there. There's baggage in the injury history. He's now 26, so he's hitting his prime. You're, you need to understand that once you get to 28 or 29, you're going to be working on one year deals anyway. So if you can, if you're 26 and he just turned 26 in February, born in 92, how old does that make you feel? Yeah, I was in college. He's younger than like one of your kids. <laughs> Too far. Uh, if you're, if you're Le'Veon Bell, you should sign a five year deal with 45 million in the first three years or whatever it is, get paid. And then figure it out because as Joel Corey pointed out in the show earlier this week, the Steelers could very well say, listen, we're not going to franchise tag you a third year. It's just not going to happen. It's too expensive. Um, we are going to give you, we're going to let you catch the ball. We're going to let you get a hundred catches and we're going to let you run the ball 330 times. <laughs> That's right. And if you make it to, um, free agency and you're alive, good for you. Get paid. But to me, if you're Le'Veon Bell, you should find like, don't demand to get paid what you're going to get paid because you're not going to get paid that. You, this game is going to chew you up and spit you out. What you should do is go get whatever the Steelers are offering, get them to bump it up a little bit to, you know, fit whatever your needs are, get paid and, and be prepared to play another five years before you retire because that's just how it works in the NFL. So he said uh, a few days ago that he would consider holding out to week 10, which is the latest you can hold out under the franchise tag before your year doesn't count towards free agency. And then he sort of backtracked the other day and said, uh, I just won't show up until week one like I did last year. So if, it, if that happens, when would you expect him to not be terrible? Because he was terrible for the first few weeks last year. You know, it was interesting. I saw D'Angelo Williams tweet this. I was going to write – maybe I'll write something about, up about this um, today. Maybe you can if you want when you get off this podcast. Thanks. Uh, seriously, you can't, but if you go back and look at his, his Twitter, D'Angelo Williams pointed out that it was Todd Haley's quote unquote punishment plan. In other words, <laughs> Le'Veon held out so they just didn't give him a bunch of reps, which is stupid as hell. Like, go win some football games and feed your best player, design the offense around him. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't great out of the box and then he, you know, he, you know, out of the gate and then he, then he, poured it on late if you're it's just it's just dumb get paid now get as much guaranteed money as you can possibly get now and then worry about the long-term deal later i i I don't understand it um you know you could end up in a situation like jerry jones where you pay two dollars back (laughs) nice segue yeah yeah right that's a terrible segue uh better question though how much money would you ryan wilson pay to see jerry jones hand one of those giant like publishers (laughs) checks uh, that says $2 million and it's like written to the NFL and it says re- like reimbursement for being an a-hole on, under the, under the thing. How much did you pay to see him hand that to Roger Goodell? Uh, 300 bucks maybe. I, I mean, I would have to go to the bank and, and, and talk to the loan officer, but I would be willing to give a lot of money to see that. I would also like to see Jerry Jones has to smile. That's part of the, the stipulation, part of the contract he, and not a fake smile. It has to be a real smile. So I would very much, uh, I mean, it must kill him. It, it, the good news is he's sort of saving face. Roger Goodell hasn't strictly called him out and made it an example of him. They've sort of done it quietly, and he's paid off uh, the legal fees for the league for all this, uh, uh, you know, the the issues that go back to potentially suing over Roger Goodell's contract, and then 
conversations about how Zeke Elliott was treated. So I guess the good news for me is that we can quit talking about it because it got to be a bit much. Uh, every other day it felt like that we got some breaking news on Zeke Elliott and ultimately he was just, you know, suspended for six games. Yeah. Like I would, would you rather write stories about Roger Goodell having to pay Jerry Jones suing Roger Goodell? Or would you rather write stories about Le'Veon Bell's hypothetical landing spots? Oh, Jerry Jones. That was much more interesting. That, that was much more sort of palace intrigue, wondering like how crazy could this get? Because Jerry Jones, according to just about everyone, isn't used to be told, isn't used to being told no. So, yeah. and he often dominates conversations even among owners at the owners meetings and he wants to be heard. And then once it sort of looked like people were ignoring him, it made him angrier. So he, you know, you, you weren't sure exactly what he was going to do. So that was sort of fun to watch unfold because it had nothing to do with me or any of my billionaire friends, but it seems like, uh, Raj has brought Jerry back to earth, and I don't know if they're going to high-five and hang out with Bob Kraft, but, um, you know, he's too many lighter in the pocket either way. It's quintessentially Texan billionaire of him to scream and scream and scream, and when people stop listening, sue everybody. Like That's, that's, that's his go-to move. He's like, you won't listen. The, the low-key, dirty move by Roger Goodell, I thought, Ryan, was that um, he like he's like he wins the contract battle. He's demanding that Jerry Jones pays back $2 million, and then he flips the pizza sponsorship to Pizza Hut. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like Jerry, that, yeah. Jerry owns all these Papa John's, and he propped up Papa John, and then Roger Goodell's like, we're going to Pizza Hut. I mean, it's like it's like your wife, you're in a fight with your wife, and she tells you to order you know, pepperoni pizza for you and the kids. You're like, oh, look, I accidentally ordered a Hawaiian. What do you know? Guess we're going to thin crust again, honey. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about uh, Jerry Jones' involvement with uh, Senior Papa John. Uh, by the way, quick aside, the most amazing thing I've ever seen covering the NFL since 2011, I think, is when I joined CBS. Super Bowl Saturday, before the Super Bowl in New York City, when the, uh, the Broncos got stomped by Seattle. I was walking uh, downtown New York City, Manhattan, and I see this rush of paparazzi come, like, almost knock me over as I walk down the street to get to this guy walking out of a hotel I said, oh, let's see who this is. Must be Brad Pitt or, you know, George Clooney, someone important. I, I'm crap you not. It was Papa John. Yeah, he's huge, man. He was huge. He's not anymore. Not I've anymore. I've seen him at the, um, I mean, he's been at those, he's, been, he's always at the Super Bowl, like media days, and he's like, it would be handing out their, I don't want to bat. I like Papa John's pizza. I do too. Um, I like, I had Pizza Hut the other night. Um, I like, I like all pizza. There's a saying about pizza that I can't say on this podcast, but let's just suffice to say there's no such thing as bad pizza. Um, Unless you're Roger Goodell. Yeah, that's right. Then, then you just don't like – you're just spiting Papa John. By the way, Peyton Manning sold insider pizza trading. That's right. $10 million. Wait, wait, wait. I don't even know what the story is. I saw it yesterday. Did you write it? No, no. I saw the headline that he got out of the Papa John's business right before Papa John's uh, tanked. I don't know if they tanked, but before the you know the agreements were – were made null and void with the league. So yeah, he moonwalked right out of the pizza shop before uh, made a little, made a few months, a few bucks. It sounds like I'm not a, um, a SEC analyst or anything like that, or even an SEC on CBS analyst. But uh, it seems illegal to sell all of your pizza chains uh, days before those pizza chains are, are dumped by the NFL as the official sponsorship. When you're a former NFL player who has lots of ties to the league, I, maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. That, that seems like um, maybe, maybe paid man is a smart pizza investor. It's pizza insider trading. It's insider pizza trading is what it is. Uh, speaking of Peyton Manning, supposed to be getting or allegedly being offered 10 million smackaroos 
by multiple networks, Ryan. I assume this is Fox and ESPN. Um, ESPN would want to put him on the Monday Night Football. Fox wants to put him on the Thursday Night Football, which they just bought, uh, signed. It's Thursday Night Football presented by Bud Light. We need to get a beer sponsorship for this podcast. If you're, if you listen and you like, I've got, see, you guys can see it. The, the listeners can't see it, but I got a Coors Light hat back there. I'm a, I'm a Coors Light man myself. So if anybody with Coors wants to sponsor this podcast, you holler at us. Um, shameless. Third, 100% shameless. Uh, Thursday Night Football makes more sense for Peyton Manning in theory, according to most, uh, prognosticators and, and, and people who follow this stuff because, uh, he doesn't have to work on the weekends. You're done preparing on Wednesday. Where do you see Peyton Manning landing, and do you think $10 million is too much for him? Well, I don't know what our colleague Tony Romo makes for, for calling not, CBS games. Not enough. I'll tell you that and much. He's, he does, I'm not just saying this because you know he works for the same company we do, but he, he was, I think he blew everyone's mind with how good he was last year. But I will say this. I think I remember uh, reports saying that John Gruden made north of $6 million when he was doing play-by-play for ESPN or commentating for Monday Night Football. And uh, $10 million just sounds like a lot. Are you going to make that back? That's my only question. Are people viewing in solely for Peyton Manning? I think even as, as Tony Romo sort of grew an audience for how good he was, I don't know how much that affected the, the ratings or if it was the football games or what. So I, I think that's the first question you ask if you're putting this deal together. I mean, if you're Peyton's agent, you're, you run, run to sign the, the contract. But $10 million just sounds like an awful lot, whether it's Thursday or, or, or what other. I just don't. I mean, ten million a year. Are you going to make that back as a network? No, no, you're not. I mean, like, here's the thing. Here's the thing with, and okay, a couple of things. One, and I, it's, I, I am, I want to tread carefully here. I don't want to sound like Teddy Rimmer isn't worth what we pay him. I think, I think he's great. I think he's the best color analyst on on TV. I think Jim Nance is the best play by play guy. I think they perfect marriage in the booth. Um, but the reality is, is that. For I would guess seventy five percent of the people who are watching football, they're getting Romo and Nance anyway because it's the national CBS game. So it's not it's not like people are like you know, most people are tuning in to watch their team, tuning in to watch uh, a game that they gambled on, tuning in to watch a game that has major fantasy implications for them. And I would say there's a small percentage that are like I'm going to watch the Romo game. No, I do that. I'll, I'll put the Romo game on my on my my main TV that I'm watching uh, with the sound turned loudly because I think he's the best at it. But you're right. I mean, people are going to watch Thursday Night Football if they want to watch Thursday Night Football for various reasons, not because Peyton Manning is calling the game. However, I do think he'd be good at it. I think his I think his skill set and his humor level um, uh, would would coincide nicely with the demographic they're trying to reach, which is, you know, uh, middle aged dads. Right. Like football watching people. Peyton Manning. You wear mom jeans? Yeah, right. I mean, I'm, it's none of your business who's wearing mom jeans today. No, Pey- Peyton wears mom jeans, so that, uh, that would be another demographic he could appeal to. I mean, I just think he'd be an appealing guy for the Monday Night Football and the Thursday Night Football audience. I saw something today where Lewis Riddick, and I tweeted it, Lewis Riddick talked to Richard Deitch of, uh, of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, he said he's like actively, he's actively stumping for them to give him the Monday Night Football job. If I'm ESPN, I'm paying Lou Riddick. One million. <laughs> I don't know how much he makes now, but I'm That's not right. paying ten. I'm paying Lou, and I put him on there with, um, with Sean McDonough, whoever else you want to pair him with. I think he'd kill it, and I'd let Fox go spend ten million on Peyton. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Lewis Riddick is very good. He's super smart, and just because he's not a household name, you could get him for something less than ten million. And imagine how many pizzas you could buy for the extra nine million. <laughs> you could buy. Imagine how many pizza a Pizza Hut stores you could buy. That's for nine right. 
Right. Lewis could buy some pizza hut stores if he wanted to. Uh, the other news, I think this is about it on the, it was I on John Breach when I, when I, when I tuned into the headlines last night. Alec Ogletree traded to the Giants. Um, oh, actually there's a couple more things. Go ahead. Cause you've, you've got some stories up now too. Um, but Alec Ogletree traded to the Giants October of 2017. He got a $42 million extension from the Rams and then they traded to the Giants. Are, th- is this wise by the Giants to take on this? Salary cap hit. Even yeah, he's a good player. He's not a. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's a great player, right? I mean, he's a, he's a very good player who can improve their defense. But it seems like the Giants might have a little bit more win now in mind than they maybe should, based on their success or lack thereof in 2017. Their two wins. I, I'll yeah. put it to you this way. So I, I checked Pro Football Focus's grades for for inside linebackers, and uh, they graded 52 last year that were eligible for a number of snaps they played. Alec Ogletree ranked 43rd. That's not great. So he had a tough year. Um, obviously, the the Rams thought uh, so little of him that they, they shipped him to New York. But the New York – here's the thing. The Giants' defense was supposed to be so much better than it was last year. They were so, such a huge disappointment. I think some of that got lost in the fact that the offense was so terrible. But I, I can't, he won't not help the defense, I would imagine. that They have to play better, obviously. But I just don't know if you want to tie yourself to that contract. Um, but you know, here we are. They desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. I, I get the sense, and you you actually had the Giants in your latest mock draft trading up to get Josh Allen at one. What was the trade and why? How did that happen again? But why were the Browns not the ones? And I, I I don't I mean I had the Browns taking. You know what? I can't make fun of it. I had the Browns taking Barkley one, and then uh, and then Allen going two to the Giants. I get the sense, though, that I think the Giants are going to go with a non-quarterback at two, either Saquon Barkley, Quentin Nelson, or Bradley Chubb, and that they that Dave Gettleman believes that this is a team, if he signs Andrew Norwell, maybe Starlo Tatoule in free agency, this is a team that can win immediately in 2018. Uh, critics be damned. Yeah, that wouldn't be completely outrageous. I mean, it's not like the Browns passing on Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz in back-to-back years. They do have Eli Manning, who was terrible last year, but so is everyone else. I, I would imagine that if you surround him by people who aren't terrible, he would play play better. And I don't think he's at the end of his career. He has two or three years left, maybe. Although I don't know if he's going to play when he's 40. But it's not super urgent that they draft a quarterback. But as you pointed to me, there are no stupid moves <laughs> when you're doing mock drafts. Though so, I suspect plenty of people will disagree with that. People get so mad about these mock drafts in March. I'm like, bleep you, buddy. Like, it's my mock. I can do what I want. I got to do 75 of these. I'm not going to just. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And look, I, honestly, and you've, I think you've made this point. I think Chubb makes the most sense for a lot of teams at the top of the draft. Uh, Barkley, I, I th- it's so weird that we're falling in love with this running back as a top first round pick when for years we were all Same. saying you can't take a first rounder. You can't waste a first rounder on a running back because you can get him anywhere. I mean, Alvin Kamara and, and Kareem Hunt are. The two most recent examples of that. So Barkley's going to be fantastic. We all know that, but you can't take him first or, or overall. I don't even think you can take him second. No, in fact, it, in the- it's um, it reminds me of the economy in the sense where it's like Trent Richardson busted out. Nobody would take a running back for the, the first round for like two years, and then it's like, all right, we'll test out Todd Gurley at ten. Okay, this worked all right. Uh, Zeke Kelly at five. Oh, this worked out all right. Ooh, Leonard four. Four. This is working out. Barkley at one, and then like eventually, like somebody's going to take a terrible running back at the top of the draft, and it's going to be a major bust. And then they'll I flipped out when they took Todd Gurley tenth, partly because it's the Rams and Jeff Fisher was behind it. But I, I was like, this is way too high. Plus, he had the injury, so there are all those concerns. But yep. he, he's an important part of that offense, and, and ten sounds about right. Yeah, uh, you can also make the case with all three of those guys, though, that the that the Rams could have gone with 
um, Landon Collins, and then taking David Johnson in the third round. And I'm, I'm cherry picking here, but this is how it works. That the Cowboys could have gone with Jalen Ramsey and then could have taken um, Derrick Henry in the second or Jordan Howard in the fifth. And then you can make the case that the Jaguars should have uh, gone with Deshaun Watson at four and then taken Alvin Kamara or any one of those other running backs from that class, Kareem Hunt, whoever, pick whoever you want. I mean, a bunch of them were really good uh, later in the draft. And I think that would have, I think in the, get that these running backs are good, but you can make the case that they'd be better off adding a, a first round talent and then supplementing it with a later back. And I think that's, for me, that's the thing with the Browns. Like the Browns should go, this is once again becoming a Brown centric podcast. This is how life is, right? Um, the Browns should go with Chubb at one or a quarterback at one, and then Chubb, Quentin Nelson, or Minka Fitzpatrick, or, or Derwin James at four, and then draft Ronald Jones at the top of the second round. I mean, that's how you do it. Yeah, in fact, when the trade that I had, the, the Giants moving up to get Al, and the number two pick, I had the the, um, the Browns taking Chubb, because why why not put Chubb with Miles Garrett and then start wreaking havoc on people? No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, hell, if you're the Giants, when you look at Chubb, too, as opposed to taking Barkley, you have Jason Pierre-Paul, you have Olivia Vernon, but those guys are not necessarily locked into really long-term deals, and you who, you can't have too many pass rushers. Yeah, uh, ask, the, ask the Eagles. Ex- exactly. In fact, that's a great segue, because the Eagles might be the team, Ryan Wilson, who could supplant the Seahawks. And that's sort of the main... Uh, I, I don't have an ad to read, I don't think. Eric, do we have any ads to read today? I didn't. I don't, I don't believe so. Eric, you can chime in if you want. Eric no. checked out. He's going to get lunch. Okay, cool. No uh, what's that? No read. No reads. Um, I would tell everybody to check out CBS Sports HQ, though, and I've been plugging these on radio spots. Uh, I know that we'll, I'll be on at 12. Well, by the time you listen to this, I won't be on. But I, uh, I pop on occasionally. I'm popping on to talk about the Seahawks today. Free, live, streaming. Um, you can access it. Roku, Fire TV, Amazon Fire TV, Amazon Fire Stick, Apple TV, wherever you want. The app, CBSSports.com. You can get it on your phone, your iPad, wherever. And it's free live streaming news. I know Nick Costos does a 5 o'clock breakdown of all of the gambling options for you degenerates out there. So check that out. Uh, I mentioned the Seahawks. And here's the deal on the Seahawks, Ryan. They're stripping it all away. Is the Legion of Boom dead? Yeah, there's nobody left. Of course they're dead. They're talking <laughs> about trading Earl Thomas. I guess the conversation a few weeks ago was that he was on the trade block, and then reportedly he wasn't, and now, again, reportedly sounds like he is. And I'll be honest. I'll ask you this because, you know, this, these are the things I think about a Steelers fan. Would you trade a third-round pick for Earl Thomas if you're Pittsburgh? Yes. Hell yes. Yeah? I don't Would think this- Enough. Hell yeah, I'd trade a third round pick for Earl Thomas. Well, they just sent Michael Bennett for a, what a fourth rounder and Marcus Johnson or whatever. Yeah, that's a that was weird. <laughs> I think if Earl Thomas is more valuable than that, though, because I mean, Michael Bennett is Earl Thomas is still just twenty eight. Now he's going to turn twenty nine in May. He's coming yeah, off. That's old. He's getting there. I think you got to give up. I would give up a third round. I like. I think the Panthers should give up a third round pick for Earl Thomas. Uh. Well, there, then there will be plenty of suitors for him then, if, if that's true. Uh, 29, you know, he's had an injury history. I think he was fine last year. It was the year before that he broke his uh, his lower leg or whatever that was. Uh, the, the deal with Richard Sherman, though, is you don't know how, how healthy he's going to be. And he's sort of had nagging injuries uh, before the Achilles injuries last year. And I don't know what sort of shape he's going to be in as a defender. He's, he struggled, quote-unquote struggled, by Richard Sherman's standards before the injury. But we don't know if he was battling something else. So I don't suspect that he's going to turn around and be the player he was when he was 25 when when he, he is, you know, 
in the sunset of his career potentially too. Yeah, and Sherman, it sounds like, is going to be cut. Uh, there was a rumor last night that the Rams could be a potential destination for him. Sherman and Marcus Peters. That would be interesting. Marcus Joyner, too. We talk about a remaking it on the fly. Um, it's insane, though. This is a team that two or three off-seasons ago, even last off-season, they extended Cam Chancellor. I mean, th- they, this team, we were talking about how they locked up uh, Richard Sherman, locked up Cam Chancellor, locked up Earl Thomas, locked up Michael Bennett, locked up Cliff Averill, locked up Cam Chancellor, locked up Russell Wilson, locked up Jimmy Graham, locked up KJ Bo- Wright, KJ Wright, Bobby Wagner. This core was built for the long haul, and they were going to have multiple runs. Do you think that? Do you think that this is what is more responsible for the downfall of the Legion of Boom? Is it the Super Bowl loss in Arizona? I remember you took we both took red eyes out of that one after that incredible interception by Malcolm Butler. Or is I mean, it, that wasn't the defense's fault. Oh no, but I mean, I'm, but I'm saying that caused some serious. Oh right, yeah, yeah. There were some uh, the franchise. Friction. Yeah, it created friction, and I think they struggled to get back from that and to find that same identity that us against the world identity they had. Do you think it's that, or do you think it's just the natural cycle of the NFL where championship think, winners close quickly? I think it's two things. I think it's uh, injuries, the un- unluckiness. Uh, Unluckiness, is that a word? Uh, being unlucky with injuries uh, on the defensive side of the ball and the fact that for reasons that make you want to put your head through a wall, why they refused to bolster an offensive line and have Russell Wilson running for his life yeah. for two or three straight years, however long it's been. I mean, that offensive line is, is an embarrassment to football. And I think that more than anything is part of the reason why the defense was so frustrated because Russell Wilson couldn't do everything by himself, but that the uh, front office didn't, you know, we talk about how great the front office is and, and Pete Carroll is the coach, but they didn't address the, the offensive line ever. I don't know. They thought Tom Cable was some sort of wizard or something, but he clearly uh, forgot to sprinkle the, the fairy dust in the offensive line. Cause I mean, Russell Wilson deserves a medal for, for avoiding, for, for not dying last year. If anything, they, they, I mean, they traded Max Unger, you know, as part of the, as part of the Jimmy Graham deal. They shipped away the, the, the starting center who was a good run blocker. So they de-dressed or undressed the offensive line. All right. If you, when you think about, and I mean, I don't think it's, okay. Two questions. One, do we consider the Seahawks a dynasty? No. Yes or no? No. Many dynasties? They, they won one Super Bowl. Yeah. They were a really good. De- it's weird. They could have won back-to-back Super Bowls. I mean, when when Cam Chancellor laid the wood on Demarius Thomas in that New York Super Bowl that you were talking about before, yeah, it was like this team has arrived. Holy, that's cow. right. They're not going anywhere for a while. They are built for the long haul. The Seahawks went through. I, th- I think this is really fascinating. They went. Remember in, in 2010 when they made the playoffs and the, the Beast Quake situation when they beat the Saints in the playoffs. Um, and they got in as like seven and nine, right? Or seven and eight more. Yeah, with, with Tavares as the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, but they beat the Rams and the Rams had just drafted Sam Bradford and it looked like the That's Rams right. were on the rise. So they beat the Rams. They knocked off the Rams. Then they outlasted Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers who were their primary rival for like five years. Then they outlasted the upstart Cardinals who came along under Bruce Arians and Steve Kime with Carson Palmer. And then now like, the friggin' Rams had to move cities and dethrone them. They, they outlasted every single team that tried to rise up and beat them. And, and finally, just, you know, time, time sort of took its toll. Uh, my second question would be, when you think back on this Seahawks run, and I, I, I don't think we call it a dynasty. I agree with you. Who, who is the player that you, you'll remember most from that run? Sherman and Marshawn, I think. Um, maybe neck and neck. I don't know if it's necessarily that order. I mean, you talked about when they dethroned the, the 49ers. I mean, my lasting memory from that is Richard Sherman going crazy on Aaron Andrews yeah. uh, 
What was he? I don't even remember what he was yelling about, but I just remember the look on his face, like a crazed lunatic. He had and then, a, a national discussion for two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl about whether Richard Sherman was a thug or not. It was insane. He's like, oh, that's right. Yeah, that was that. That was insane. In descended on it. Fox News got hot and bothered. And like, oh, we yeah, got that was an angry black man yelling at the camera. Let's go. That's right. it's ridiculous. It's like Richard Sherman's a Stanford grad, and people got. But it, but it, the Seahawks weren't known nationally. And Sherman jumped, jumped, I mean, he yelled in the, I agree with you, like, it, he's screaming, he's screaming in that interview at Aaron Andrews, and it, 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 it introduced us to this, it introduced the world to the Seahawks. Yeah, and then Marshawn sort of carrying that team before the Legion of Boom showed up, before Russell Wilson was there, and, and doing it pretty much, uh, until he decided to retire and go ride around, uh, England and, and eat Skittles. Uh, you know, he came back last year and he wasn't quite the player he was, but I think those two things are, are the last memory, much more so to me than Russell Wilson, who was important, but I think, you know, he's, he's a great player. I, I know there are conversations about that, but he wasn't the, the impetus for, I think, uh, the Seahawks sort of, uh, uh surging in, into one of the best teams for the last five or six, seven years. In fact, you can even make the case, and I, and I would argue too that one of the underrated moments of this is the, uh, Michael Bennett writing the police spike. Around CenturyLink Field after they beat the Packers in that overtime Hail Mary from Russell oh, Wilson. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that game. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's a crazy game, right? Oh, the, the botched, uh, onside kick to, oh. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that's right. Um, but you could make the case, I think, that the delineation between the Seahawks involves Russell Wilson. And, and look, Russell Wilson is a fantastic quarterback. You're right. He's a, he's a top 10 quarterback. There's no doubt about it. But, you go back and you look at the Seahawks that won the Super Bowl. They throttled the, one of the best offenses in NFL history, destroyed the Broncos. Set, like looked like they knocked the Broncos back into a different world. They almost wrecked Peyton Man- ended Peyton Manning's career. And then you go and you look at the Seahawks that came back to the Super Bowl the next year. They decided to go away from their identity and didn't run the ball with Marshawn Lynch that second time in the red zone. They let Russell Wilson throw. There was talk afterwards that they wanted Russell to have the game-winning touchdown. Who knows if that's true, but you know, you get away from the identity, you lose that game, and it feels like since then they've sort of been drifting. Um, the other thing I think that stands out about the Seahawks is that as we head into free agency, a reminder that when I think it was 2013, they go into free agency and there's a weird sort of lack of movement in free agency. Cliff Averill is coming off uh, sort of a down year with the Lions after having a, a monster year and then getting tagged. He signs a one-year, I believe, one-year $10 million deal with the uh, w- with the with the Seahawks, which is sort of an under-the-radar move. Michael Bennett, I think, signed a one-year $5 million deal or maybe a, a two-year $15 million deal with $5 million in the first year. Also an under-the-radar move coming from Tampa Bay. And both of those guys ended up being huge pieces of this defense that would evolve um, to not only feature the Legion of Boom, but to also feature those those talented and vocal guys up front. And Mar- everybody knows about uh, Michael uh, Michael Bennett's activity, you know, in terms of social social stuff and all of that. Cliff Averill is one of the biggest low key social guys out there. He does all the ha- all the work in Haiti, which is fantastic. And, and so I think that that's one of those moments that people sort of sleep on in terms of building out that Seahawks identity too. It's funny, as you were talking, I was reminded of Michael Bennett and social activism. He's going now to the Eagles, one of the most socially active teams in the league. Uh, also, by the way, they just won the Super Bowl. Also, by the way, there are reports that's... What's that? 
I'm just kidding. Um, oh, also, by the way, Stephen Ross, uh, the, the Dolphins owner, and um, McNair, the, the owner of the Texans, have reportedly said they're not going to – there may be issues about signing guys who are socially active, kneel during the national anthem and stuff. So, look, as an owner, that is your right to do that, but you could be cutting out players that could literally help you win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, you're you are minimizing the talent pool with which you can, you know, find – players and there's look there's a lot of socially active players in the nfl i mean all of these guys that's the thing about the seahawks too like i mean when you think like earl thomas is a wild card it, yeah he went up to the cowboys coaches after they lost that game was like, oh, hey, that's right trade for me next year uh he's always been vocal on twitter and stuff like that richard sherman as we pointed out um has been one of the most vocal nfl players in the league over the last five years uh, michael bennett's there and, you know, Cam Chancellor doesn't shy away from, from, from speaking his mind either. And then, of course, ironically, on the other side of the ball, you have Russell Wilson, who's a vanilla robot that just yeah, doesn't so work. So much charitable work, it's a, it's a red flag. Yeah, and to Pete Carroll's uh, credit, he, he defends his players, and, you know, there's something to be said for that too. But, but now he'll have a whole new set of players to have to defend because that locker room is going to look completely different in 2018. How do you spin this – like, where does this go now if you're the Seahawks? I mean, what do they? They better sign a whole bunch of offensive linemen and draft a whole bunch of uh, a bunch of offensive linemen because you have to protect Russell Wilson. Uh, otherwise, it, cutting all these guys on defense and trading all these guys doesn't make any sense. If your only goal is to be the Cleveland Browns and have the biggest uh, uh, the biggest amount of cap room going into to 2019. I mean, here's the thing: like, if assuming that they didn't franchise tag Sheldon Richardson, so he's gone. Michael Bennett got traded. Cliff Averill, Pete Carroll has said, is is doesn't is not going to be able to play football again, which is a sign that hey, we're going to cut him. We're going to hopefully he won't be able to recoup injury money from us. Same thing with Cam Chancellor. Earl Thomas is on the trading block. Um, Richard Sherman is going to get cut. So all of a sudden, your defense is let's say you keep Earl Thomas. It's like Jeremy Lane, Earl Thomas, Shaquille Griffin, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. I mean, it's not it's not terrible. But you really need some good play from Jerron Reed, Nazir Jones, Malik McDowell, Frank Clark. I mean, th- these young guys that you've invested in have to step up and be good. I mean, you can see a situation where they're a dangerous defense. Mm-hmm. I see a situation where they're a, a different and more dangerous and more efficient offense. I and mean, there's just not a ton of – they can't just go out and get all the offensive linemen they need to protect Russell Wilson. They're losing Jimmy Graham. I mean, Luke Jokel – was it, Who cares? It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, they got Doug Baldwin. They got Tyler Lockett. Lockett hadn't been able to stay healthy. Paul Richardson's going to leave in free agency more than likely. Uh, there's a report that they might go after Jonathan Stewart at running back, which Jay Stewart's uh, a good guy, but he's old, and the Panthers need running back help, and they cut him. I, I just don't see how this offense is different than it was last year because Brian Schottenheimer is there. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, does it? Can he run the football? Can he block? I mean, no, it doesn't make sense. There was some conversation that uh, the Seahawks were very impressed with Deion Jordan, the former top pick of the the um, was he the Dolphins' top pick? He was yeah. right. The yeah, who traded up for him? Right, he busted out hard in Miami. Yeah, and then um, Seahawks finally took a flyer on him last year after he sort of panned out, hit rock bottom, and he wasn't terrible. So he's not going to replace Michael Bennett. I don't care how good Seattle felt about him, but apparently there's some feeling in that building that he he'll be okay. So we'll see. But again, the issue is that 
not that they don't have playmakers because they still do, but they have zero depth. It's sort of like what the Redskins used to do every offseason is sign the biggest name in free agency and then have like three players that could go out and play on Sunday and then one got hurt and they would lose every game by 40 points. So you have to have depth. And I mean, Schneider, the GM, knows that. and Pete Carroll knows that. They just had to figure it out. And I can't imagine they're going to consider 2018 a rebuilding year, quote unquote, but they got a lot of work to do between now and late July to sort of sort this out because there are a lot of messes that need to be sorted. Well, one of the underrated things about the Seahawks is that, you know, as, 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 as lucky as they are to have a franchise quarterback and they drafted Russell Wilson in the 2012 draft, he was, I mean, he played, I don't even know this, he played at NC State, then transferred to Wisconsin. He was old when he came out of the draft. He's already 29. He's going to turn 30 in November. He doesn't play a style of quarterback that is conducive to staying extremely healthy. I don't think that you're guaranteed to get six years of Russell Wilson at his highest level where he's able to run around and, and, and be that quarterback that you want him to be. So you don't really have the time to, to go out and, and, and just, and just rebuild. I mean, you have to rejigger it on the fly and it's very hard to do in the NFL. Yeah. They got, a, they got a lot of work to do because, uh, as you're, what you're basically saying is that Russell Wilson, all five foot eleven of them, isn't going to morph into Drew Brees in the next two years and be comfortable in the pocket, winging throws down the field. Because um, like Russell, I mean, like um, Drew Brees, he cannot see over the uh, the offensive line in front of him. Uh, just Brees is, is much better, much more adept at, at finding those creases. And Wilson, uh, you know, as we know, and as Pete likes to complain, is it long for the pocket, and then he's running around, and the play breaks down, and then he's having to make plays with his feet. And you know, if you're 85 years old, you're not going to be running around like you did when you were 29. That's right. As we, as you and I both well know, you're still, um, we'll get you out of here on this. Sorry to end abruptly. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, no, I'm not sorry. I have a, uh, you mentioned being old and running around. You, you're rehabbing from an ACL injury. How's it going? <laughs> That's right. I'm, uh, week seven tomorrow since the surgery. Wow. And, uh, so you're, uh, so if you're Philip Rivers, you'd be at training camp tomorrow. I'd be running sprints. So typically in this day and age, the, for football players, not for me, but like the return to the football field takes nine to 12 months. And that's what they're saying for Carson Wentz, who tore his ACL a week after I did, because I know you're interested. So in the, the expectation is he will not be mobile as soon as he returns in September to probably take another month and a half. But, uh, you mentioned Philip Rivers returned in a hundred days, which is insane. He's not mobile. So that's okay. But back in 1997, um, your boy Jerry Rice tore his ACL in, the week one of the of the season, nine seven season, he came back in week fourteen and played. Uh, fourteen weeks later, he's out there running around. And the the most ironic thing is, he didn't tear his ACL when he played. He broke his kneecap because he was playing on, on some cr- uh, frozen turf, and he landed on his knee and broke his kneecap. But he returned to whatever almost three months, two and a half months after ACL injury, which is one of the most remarkable things that I learned in this process. When we go down to Florida in the in the summer, and we're we're told that's going to happen this year, will you? Be taking up the mantle of running 40 yard dashes against, uh, Sean Wagner McGuff. Uh, we'll see. I, I can, I'm allowed to start jogging in three months, which is in, um, five weeks. So if there's enough time and I can hit my top speed, maybe I'll, I'll take it up. I don't want, what I don't want to happen is to blow out my knee messing around with you idiots. I honestly, that's, I mean, I've done a lot of things that would cause me shame and guilt in my life. And that's like top five. Cause, well, you didn't make it clear. Sean, uh, our 25-year-old colleague, dusted you in a 40-yard sprint two two years ago, I think. Inside of a restaurant in the streets of Fort Lauderdale, in which we decided to run barefoot. Like, but I mean, I don't even get mad. I don't even like get shame about losing to Sean. Like, we, I was wearing khakis and barefoot in the streets. Like, of course, I was going to lose. That was stupid. 
You were so belligerent, though. You were so we'd had some drinks, we'd had some cocksure drinks. that you were going to smoke this guy yeah. who was uh, at least a decade younger than you. Yeah, <laughs> he's eleven years younger than me. I'm not going to beat him in a race. What was I thinking? Um, but the 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 thing that bothers me is that I was running barefoot in the dark in the streets of Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what that was about. You had your it, penny loafers on or something. I mean, that's just how you get Hep C. Right, like that's. I mean, that's you just. Or like how you step on a bottle and shat and and then tear your ACL. Um, well, I think the, the low point uh, for you not only was losing to Sean, but was uh, some random people sort of walked up and they were smoking cigarettes and they. I think they beat you too. They wanted to join in on the race. <laughs> Three or four of those guys smoked you too. It's a pretty uh, pretty low point in my life. All right, low point in your week was having to appear on this podcast, but thanks for doing it. We talk Seahawks, and uh, we'll, you'll be back. You'll be back for more podcasts. You just don't. You can't. You don't know it. Can't stop it. Uh, follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Wilson underscore 07. Is that, do that right? Come on. You know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worst photo header ever. <laughs> 07. Like, what you, like, was your kid born in 07? What's the deal with that? Yeah, that's a story. It's terrible. Ryan, Ryan Wilson fancies himself a, a James Bond. <laughs> Ryan Wilson. Seven. You can follow the pick six podcast on Twitter at pick six pod. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, tune in. Tune, yeah, tune in. Thank you. Good job, Brian. And, uh, and leave a review. Let us know. You know, we'll, we'll tweet this out. You know, if you're a, if you're a long time listener, you might be excited that Ryan and I are back yapping on the old microphones. We're Thanks mad. And, uh, we'll be back next week. 